Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hardison. Tonight, we're going to break down every game from Week 13 NFL Sunday. People, I hope you enjoyed it. We did not have any Thursday night football. It was a tough stretch. You know, I know we had the Wednesday afternoon game, but it had been a while since we've seen some live action. And boy, we had some good games out there. So there were some duds as well as always, but plenty to get through either way. Want to go through every single matchup, touch quickly, you know, on the skill position players, obviously the quarterbacks, just what happened, you know, run pass and get some of the snaps there. Mainly, I want to try to touch on things that, you know, don't show up in the box score, drop passes, you know, miss big plays, things that can help us, you know, more actionable information uh, moving forward and try to avoid some of the pitfalls that come with, the, you know, your typical box score uh, scouring sometimes. So I have gone through and been able to watch every game so far. Obviously got to watch multiple at the same time. So, you know, feel free to make fun of me as much as you like. If I do mess something up, but seriously, you know, if there is something that you notice I'm incorrect about or you have a different opinion about, please feel free to hit me up on Twitter at iHeartIt's or hit up the PFF Fantasy Twitter account at PFF underscore fantasy. But without further ado, let's get after it, everybody. First game, Browns defeat the Tennessee Titans 41 to 35. What a performance from Baker freaking Mayfield. So, look, we told you last week on this podcast that despite that, you know, brutal miss he had to Rashard Higgins, Mayfield played one of his best games of the year against the Jaguars last week, kept it going in this one in a major way. Obviously, Titans, you know, better team to beat up on the Jaguars. But to Baker's credit, this was now just his second game, really, in the last five games that he wasn't playing and just awful weather in Cleveland with rain and wind all over the place. So, Again, 334 yards, four touchdowns. Pretty much all that production did come in the first half. And he should have had five scores in the first half. If Donovan Peoples-Jones didn't drop an easy slant for a score. But, I mean, just one dime after another at Higgins and Landry. There were a lot of open guys and very little pressure throughout. I get it. You know, this was not not necessarily a game where we've seen Baker do a bunch of stuff that he hasn't, you know, shown he can do before. I think more of the issues people have with Baker is how he can respond, you know, with pressure and kind of working on to his uh, secondary reads and things of that nature. So it was really easy for the Browns offense, but hey, it's 41 points. The Browns are freaking nine and three. We can worry about these, uh, you know, itty-bitty problems later. The good thing was Baker Mayfield. I mean, this was a great game, and we just haven't seen that many great games uh, from this year. So whatever you want to say the conditions were, you know, how good the Titans were, how bad they were, just realize, you know, the more of these great games we can have for Baker, the better chance the Browns are going to have of actually making some noise in January. So they can run the ball on anybody. 
they weren't quite as successful in this one. You know, only team-wide 3.3 yards per carry, but Nick Chubb still had 80 yards in the score on the ground. Kareem Hunt uh, didn't have too much going, only 2.4 yards per carry. But just realize, you know, this was a game that, hey, I understand Baker didn't exactly have the toughest throws he had to make time after time. I mean, I felt like he had more tight window throws in Week 12 than Week 13. But either way, did everything you could ask for a more great game from Baker Mayfield. Uh, but Ryan Tannehill, 389 yards, three touchdowns, and an interception uh, through the air. Look, they were down 17 nothing in the freaking bleak of an eye, so he had to really keep his uh, foot on the gas. You know, Derrick Henry still got his 15 carries, but that was about it. I mean, we did see them passing throughout most of this game. So a number of deep, you know, great throws to Corey Davis and A.J. Brown. Reminds me almost a little bit of the Falcons offense sometimes when they get going because it's just, you know, one deep in, deep out after another to, you know, Corey Davis and A.J. Brown. Just two big physical freaks that guys also have to respect them running deep. So... It becomes a situation where Tannehill is able to step into his throws, you know, get some velocity on those suckers and get it to his big, badass wide receivers. So, you know, it wasn't a perfect performance. You did see him take three sacks, weren't able to get any sort of rushing floor. I mean, there were a number of times where you did kind of wonder uh, what Tannehill was thinking in terms of pocket presence and getting the ball out of his hands more quickly than we would have liked. But, you know, could have had an even bigger performance. Again, I mentioned almost 400 yards and three touchdowns. A.J. Brown survived an ankle uh, scare, thank God. But he should have had about a 20-yard touchdown. But as he was dragging it defender into the end zone he actually fumbled it and then Miko Pruitt picked it up and brought it in the rest of the way so had that mistake and he also dropped a good 40 yarder down the seam uh, later that could have added to uh, you know Tannehill's numbers as well so AJB still had a good game four catches 87 yards but could have been much bigger from him for sure I'm just happy he's healthy Corey Davis stole the show with 11 catches for 182 yards and a touchdown 12 targets people the only guys with more yards per route run than Corey Davis this year Devonte Adams and Justin Jefferson he is having a fantastic year legit every week upside wide receiver three if not a wide receiver two at this point seriously he dudded against the bears a couple weeks ago goose egg but other than that really throughout the year Corey davis has been balling uh mentioned on the browns you know higgins and landry had those touchdowns donovan people jones also had a 75 yard bomb for a score on a filthy double move mentioned how he dropped that one score it was good to see him make up for it afterwards with that Quickly with these backfields, Nick Chubb played 50% of the offensive snaps. Kareem Hunt, 49%. So pretty split. We did see Hunt, you know, come in more in mop-up time. But it did end up being Chubb, uh, you know, with 19 combined carries and targets. And Hunt was, you know, right there at 17. So, look, Chubb is the locked-in RB1. But Hunt, I still think more times than not, is going to be able to give us lower-end RB2 value. Like, he wasn't making the most out of his opportunities in this game. And it's been this way a little bit uh, in, in some of these recent weeks. But just realize, like, Hunt is getting the workload that we want in this backfield. The Browns run the ball enough to enable two fancy relevant backs just haven't quite gotten all the efficiency that we wanted from him recently on the Titans side of the ball Derrick Henry 55% snap rates why are, do we have Jeremy freaking McNichols playing 45% of the snaps when you're paying the big dog that much money to be your back I've always thought you know the idea that Henry is this game script dependent back was a little bit overblown because again he had 15 carries and a target in this one but yes I mean we want games where the Titans can play with the lead that's when we're going to see Henry potentially double those rush attempts so this was a rough one but don't worry everybody uh, D uh, Devember, is that what we call it? Uh, Dehember, whatever the hell the freaking phrase is for uh, Derrick Henry in December. We'll get going with that. I'll work on it. It's 11.30 right now, Eastern time, so give me a break, everybody. I'm out here grinding. We'll work on the Derrick Henry uh, nicknames later. Uh, injuries in this one. Mentioned the A.J. Brown ankle, but he returned. But just realize, I mean, A.J. Brown this year, he's already been dealing with a knee injury all year. He popped up on the injury report with a hip injury. You know, I know this was not one of his better games. He's had some issues with drops, you know, just kind of momentary lapse of focus throughout the season. But... Uh, uh, you know, is a situation where he has been playing through the pain throughout the year. 
Uh, I'm going to do a PFF Lily matchup staff for every one of these. For those that don't know, Lily is my 25 and a half pound uh, wiener dog. She just turned one on Saturday. Happy birthday, PFF Lily. But anyway, uh, matchup stats in, in, uh, in honor of that glorious wiener dog. Here we go. Baker in this game, 25 of 29 for 334 yards and four touchdowns. When not under pressure when he's kept clean. When under pressure, he was 0 for 4. So look, this season, including this week, Baker is sixth among you know qualified quarterbacks, at least 100 dropbacks and PFF pass. Passing grade, not under pressure. 20 touchdowns versus three interceptions. 8.4 yards per attempt this ninth. That's fantastic. Legit top 10 quarterback when not under pressure. A lot of that was aided by this game. But you know what? This game counts towards the season just like the rest they do. Under pressure is where we've had the problem. Baker's 38th out of 43 qualified quarterbacks in PFF passing grade. 39th in yards per attempt. So, you know, Baker, when he has time and you can give him an open receiver, man, he can put it on him with the best of them. Just hasn't quite been a situation where when things break down, we see the same caliber quarterback. But great win for Baker and the Cleveland Browns. Nine and three. Go crazy, Cleveland. Next game, we got the Dolphins beating the Bengals 19-7. to I actually saw some, you know, cut people cutting on Tua a little bit after this performance, but, you know, he had 296 yards and a touchdown. It could have easily been approaching 350-plus, if not more, because he hit Jakeem Grant between the eyes pretty much on a 50-yard bomb down the middle of the field that Jakeem just couldn't hold on to. So I actually thought this was Tua's best game of the year, and we've been pretty critical of him on this podcast just in terms of more of his fantasy player. I mean, you know, he's playing winning term for free football, and he does deserve credit for that when we go out and we see you know these younger quarterbacks like your drew locks and even your slightly older ones like carson Wentz, just you know unable to hold on to the ball or limit sacks when tua is able to do it and in, in an easy matchup i get it we're not freaking out too much but the fact tua has generally done a good job of protecting the ball is a good sign for things to come because clearly you know he is trying to just play a little more ball control than i think he's used to and hopefully he can open things up while continuing to not give away too many plays with the Bengals, brandon allen was awful he threw a 72 yard touchdown on tyler Boyd. Okay, guys, it was a one-yard pass that Tyler Boyd then took to the house on a screen thanks to the Dolphins blowing their cover zero, which they run more than just about anybody. So cover zero, great rewards, but you do carry a pretty big risk if you do not tackle well at the line of scrimmage. So if you remove that, and look, I understand I don't like removing big plays, but in this case, I think it's relevant because, again, this was hardly a pass that asked Brandon Allen to do anything. You remove that play, you only had 81 passing yards and 18 attempts with one interception and five sacks. Ryan Finley came in afterwards, had a tipped interception. Look, we've been saying, on this uh, you know, podcast really since Joe Burrow went out. You cannot trust anybody in this Bengals offense, including Giovanni Bernard, as long as uh, you know Allen and or Finley are under center. So credit to Boyd for you know taking that screen in the house, but that's hardly something we can hang our hat on moving forward. We did have some ejections in this one. Guys are getting chippy. I mean, they actually, I think it was uh, Mike Thomas on the Bengals. He laid out Jakeem Grant twice pretty early on punts, and even Brian Flores was coming out trying to uh, you know bark a little bit and say something to him. But when you uh, look at the overall guys, Boyd, Devontae Parker, Mac Hollins, and Xavier Howard, I believe, all got ejected for, you know, throwing fists or just kind of getting after it. Uh, well, some of them were pretty weak. I think the Boyd and Xavier Howard ones uh, probably shouldn't have, but at least Devontae Parker was out there throwing fists, trying to back up his teammates. Uh, T. Higgins, five catches, 56 yards. Uh, Miles Gaskin had a 51 yards. Mike Jasicki had a good game, nine catches, 88 yards, and a score. It was good to see him finally come through uh, without, you know, having uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick back there, because that's just been the 
issue with this Dolphins offense. So one game we still didn't see, you know, a huge reliance on Tua, but 39 pass attempts. We hadn't seen him, you know, even pass 30 attempts in his previous starts. So I'm still not ready to say Tua is going to be this awesome fantasy quarterback. We still didn't see a rushing floor at all. He only had three carries, uh, no rushing touchdowns. And, you know, we do have more evidence than not of him, you know, more or less being a ball control player. But at a minimum, I think to Siki and Devontae Parker, we can treat as, you know, just upside wide receiver three and lower end tight end one as long as Tua is under center. Truly, I want nothing to do with anyone other than Miles Gaskin with Fitzpatrick. So the fact Tua played as well as he did in this one is good for these guys moving forward. Would know with these uh, backfields, Gaston came right back from the IR and played 70% snaps, 21 carries, and two targets. Expect him to be a legit upside RB2 into the fantasy playoffs. He is their three down back, pass early, goal line. He gets it all. Unfortunately, couldn't find the end zone on this one, but, you know, ended up with 141 total yards and looked good doing it. He had a fumble at the end that could have helped them find the end zone, but wasn't meant to be. I don't think that's going to result in any sort of uh, discipline or anything. Gaston's been pretty good about that all year long. Uh, with the Bengals, Giovanni Bernard, 66% snaps, 12 carries, two targets. Samaje Piran showing there at 34%. Uh, by the way, just real quick, these snap percentages all are unofficial right now. Some of the people are still grinding through the games, but I took them at about 11.15 p.m., so we should be good for the most part. But yeah, look, Giovanni Bernard, it's a situation where he's not getting the same targets he was uh, with Burrow under center, and he's also losing work to Samaje Piran. We could see Joe Mixon back next week. You know, Gio's someone you're going to keep on the squad, you know, until we do see Mixon back for sure. But either way, he's certainly not someone that needs to be in starting lineups as long as this Bengals offense largely remains broken. So our PFF Lily matchup stat, 40 QBs have at least 100 dropbacks this season. The only ones with a turnover-worthy play rate under 2%, Aaron Rodgers, Alex Smith, Deshaun Watson, and Tua. Credit to the rookie for taking care of the ball. And I know I've called him Tua this whole segment. I will make it my mission to figure out his last name after, in my opinion, his best performance of the season. It's a tricky one. I don't want to do him a disservice by not, uh, you know, pronouncing that correctly. I got to work on that, everybody. Uh, next matchup, we got the Raiders defeating the Jets 31-28. Absolutely wild game. We'll start with the ending. Derek Carr hits Henry Ruggs for a 46-yard walk-off touchdown when the Jets confusingly decided to pretty much do like a 0 blitz everyone pressed up man coverage and more or less allow Carr to chuck it deep now we've had some guys you know dan orvlosky from espn came out and said this is what greg williams has always been doing uh referencing some you know plays he had done previously i uh you know remembered the cardinals against the packers back in 2014 or 15 i believe it was the jeff janis throw where uh you know aaron Rodgers actually got blitz and he chucked it up and uh, was able to complete it anyway so it wasn't the first time we've seen teams in a hail mary situation not exactly you know leave just everyone eight or nine guys back in the end zone this was probably the first time though that was a combination of not only sending seven guys but also not keeping your defensive backs like not even giving like a cushion to try to uh, you know stay back and be in a better position to not let someone run directly behind you like henry ruggs to me i think the people think, think, think that people we were missing a little too much out of this like the worst part about this was the play before that touchdown nelson Aguilar got behind everybody and Derek Carr just overthrew him so literally like they made the same mistake twice in a row and they got burn for it now you might say was it a mistake or were they absolutely trying to tank for trevor lawrence it's a good question i mean it was obviously something that came down from greg williams i it, it was such a horrendous call like okay if you're saying it's not a tank then how can you like just say anything other than yeah our coach completely screwed that decision up so it's a tricky situation uh, obviously none of these players are tanking i mean sam darnold was you, you really think sam darnold will be playing bad throughout this one they're trying to get in a get his team in a position to replace him of course not and you think that cornerback uh who henry 
Ruggs B for that touchdown. You think he wanted to put that on tape? Of course not. But it was a position where the coaching, the coaching was either so bad that they put their team in this laughable position where the entire world thinks they're tanking, or their coaching was so bad that they either were tanking or they're just that bad. So which one is it, Jets? You pick. Once again, your franchise is pretty much an embarrassment to the entire league. But hey, hopefully you get Trevor Lawrence and hopefully you can actually surround him uh, unlike you have really done with Sam Darnold. That was the issue, you know, in this one. I mean, Jameson Crowder, you know, five catches, 47 yards, pair of touchdowns, but... I really thought after last week, first game Sam Darnold had Perryman, Mims, and Crowder. He said his career-high mark and average target death for a single game. That just wasn't the case in this one. Darnold, I mean, two of the first three drives, he threw touchdowns. But after that, we just kind of saw him come back to earth. Three picks, lost a pair of fumbles, also had an interception. So just not, you know, a, a good game. He had a great rushing touchdown where he trucked the living crap out of somebody as he got into the end zone. So that's Darnold's second, uh, you know, marquee rushing highlight this year. He had that wild, like, 50-yard touchdown run on Thursday Night Football way back when but yeah Sam Darnold you know just another game where every once in a while you see the flashes of arm talent but ultimately he's not gonna be someone we're getting behind fantasy with Adam Gase and honestly for everyone in this receiving game now that Crowder is back to kind of being the number one guy it did seem like they were transitioning to these outside receivers more but now they're pretty much all impossible to trust I'll probably rank Crowder as the number one guy again next week but none of them are going to be among my top 36 options at wide receiver uh, with this Jets backfield Ty Johnson ended up leading the way because uh, uh, Frank Gore got concussed and ended up missing pretty much the entire game. He had one carry for two yards, got the concussion, and ended up having to leave after that. So unfortunate news there, but it was Ty Johnson, 62% snaps, 22 carries, two targets. Josh Adams, 32% uh, snaps and eight carries. I would just, you know, caution people before you blow your remaining fab on Ty Johnson. This is the Jets. We know how freaking low this floor and really ceiling is for everybody involved in this offense. And this was a situation where they only had, you know, these three active running backs. So, you know, they're not going to go into next week with only Ty Johnson and Josh Adams. Expect someone, if Gore does remain sidelined, to join them and make this an annoying three RB committee. On the rear side of the bar, mentioned uh, Derek Carr, you know, with that game-winning touchdown. Really played well in this one. 381 yards. Three touchdowns, one interception. It wasn't perfect, but again, he, he played well overall and gave and ultimately got them the win. Well, you know, regardless of whether it should have been this hard or not against the Jets, uh, story for another day. It was a nice bounce back spot for Derrick in general. He did miss though. Again, that one uh, multiple long ball, that one long ball to Aguilar at the end of the game. He had another one, even potentially three touchdowns to Nelson Aguilar. That car just really didn't even give him a chance to catch. But Carr also uh, was in a situation where he he had a rushing score as did Darnold, and you know just the connection of Darren Waller my goodness 13 catches on 17 targets 200 yards and two scores for Darren Waller so it was just car to Waller car to Waller all freaking afternoon long Jets couldn't do a thing the first touchdown was a pretty route where he just hit him in the back of the end zone and the second one was a little bit more yak goodness from Waller so Waller is freaking like 6'6 255 and he runs a sub 4 5 40 absolutely wild that that guy can you know function as a true inline tight end and not just be some gimmicky uh, wide receiver I'm not saying he's a fantastic blocker but this is not just someone that lines up outside he does it all and he does it at a very high level number two tight end fantasy this year behind only Travis Kelsey even if George Kittle would have stayed healthy we're talking about anyone's idea of a top three talent at the position he had a, himself a career high game all the way around with this Raiders backfield without Josh Jacobs in the picture. Devontae Booker, 43% snaps. Jalen Richard, 39%. Theo Riddick, 18%. Makes you think it's a, it was, you know, it was a three-back committee, but we saw Devontae Booker get 16 carries and two targets. Jalen Richard only had four carries. Riddick only had three, and each of them each only have one uh, target. So it sounds like Jacobs going to have a chance to be back for week 14, but if not, Devontae Booker with this type of workload, again, it's not Jacobs. We were not touting Devontae Booker as an RB1 like we would Jacobs, but this is a legit RB2 workload, and 
I know this was frustrating and didn't work out the way we wanted to in a perfectly winnable matchup, but just remember, like Boston Scott busted the first time, was good the second time. We got frustrated with Duke Johnson, then he had a good game on, you know, Thanksgiving. We are following the usage, people. We can't just let a one-game sample size of, you know, the efficiency we don't want sway our future decision-making. Devontae Brooker is still going to be a top 24 running back in Week 14 if Josh Jacobs remains sidelined. PFF Lily matchup stats. So 11 guys this year are averaging at least 2.2 yards per route run. Oh, excuse me, said that wrong. 11 guys over the past two seasons are averaging at least 2.2 yards per route run. This is regardless of position. George Kittle, Michael Thomas, Devontae Adams, A.J. Brown, Julio Jones, Stephon Diggs, Austin Eckler, Tyree Kill, Mark Andrews, Travis Kelsey, and Darren freaking Waller. Truly, he's a tight end. Call him whatever the hell you want. Darren Waller is a legit number one wide receiver, and he has been great at that for the better part of the past two seasons. Next game, we got the Colts defeating the Texans 26-220. Absolutely great game from Deshaun Watson despite the losing effort. Had the Texans in a position to win at the end. Had pretty much a bad snap inside the five-yard line. Unfortunately, the Colts end up recovering it. So Watson couldn't get the win, but just realized even without Will Fuller out there, just one awesome off-script play after another. Didn't throw for a touchdown, but he did run for one. David Johnson also punched one in on the ground as well. So uh, DeForest Buckner in this, this defensive line, you know, they sacked Watson five times. They were in the backfield seemingly all game. He made the most out of pretty much everything, particularly when you consider, I mean, one of the reasons why uh, with Watson, we were pretty confident still firing him up as a top five fantasy QB this week, even without Will Fuller, was because he still had Brandon Cooks. Cooks missed part of this game in the concussion program. Protocol. He cleared it and came back, which is great because that Lord knows that guy's had two main concussions already. But Kiki Cootie, eight catches, 141 yards. Chad Hansen, five catches, 101 yards. Let me tell you what, people, it wasn't like these guys were making just spectacular contested catches and bailing out Watson. It was mostly him doing it. I'm not hating on Hansen or Cootie, but truly, Deshaun Watson is, in my opinion, playing at potentially the second highest level of any quarterback in the league right now behind only Patrick Mahomes. So, hey, you know, if you really were starting a team tomorrow and you had to think about who you wanted your QB to be for the next 10 years, I get it. Mahomes is absolutely number one. We can talk about Russ and Aaron Rodgers and what they haven't left in the tank too. But I think if he purely stripped all the, you know, all of our biases and all of our We've seen this guy do it for, you know, 10 years and Watson's only done it for three or four years away. I truly think if you just look at what Deshaun Watson brings to the table, his ability to impact the defense as a dual threat QB with an arm that can, you know, force him to guard pretty much every square into the field. Deshaun Watson deserves to be in any argument about the top three quarterbacks in the league, both real life and fantasy. Uh, looking at the Indianapolis team, Phillip Rivers, 27 for 35, 285 yards with a pair of scores, playing through an injury that's described as worse than turf toe. So he's going to need offseason surgery uh, to repair his foot. So credit to Rivers for continuing to be just a warrior. People forget he played through a torn ACL in a playoff game once upon a time uh, with those yards. Most of them went to T.Y. Hilton, eight catches, 110 yards, and a score also found Jonathan Taylor for a 39-yard touchdown. People... I'm happy Jonathan Taylor can catch passes. This was something coming out of Wisconsin that, you know, he had drop problems and we just didn't even know if he could be a receiving back. And the fact that he has shown, you know, soft enough hands and not had drop problems is great to see. Don't reference today and be like, wow, look how great of a receiver Jonathan Taylor is. Nobody guarded him 39 yards. I'm happy he's fast enough to run untouched into the end zone. But as we talked about this Colts offense, let's chill out on giving guys too much praise for running, you know, untouched for too long a times. Like that's why we've luckily been able to avoid the Michael Pittman trap over 
over the past few weeks because we saw when he was producing, it was usually of the fluky variety, people just not guarding him and him being able to run untouched down the field. So again, I'm happy Taylor. They, they're not afraid to throw him the ball, but don't get that, you know, confused. Don't be the person that looks at, you know, Leonard Fournette, uh, you know, when he caught 70 passes last year and you say he was a good receiver because of that. Sometimes the numbers do lie, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, with this Colts backfield, though, it was a Jonathan Taylor show to an extent. 49% snaps, 13 carries, three targets. Still had Naeem Hines out there, though. 33% snaps and Jordan Wilkins, 18%. They combined for 11 carries and five targets themselves. Look, Jonathan Taylor has been their best running back lately. He makes the most sense to ride into the playoffs. I don't know if they're necessarily going to do that because they haven't done it all season. And really, Frank Reich haven't does, hasn't done it during his entire career. So, hey, I think Taylor is the person now that we can rank highest in Fantasyland. We were doing that earlier in the year, but just realize, you know, this was still a game where late in the fourth quarter, Jordan Wilkins was getting some mop-up run. Naeem Hines is still the pass down back no matter what. I just don't think Jordan Wilkins is suddenly going to hit the bench for no reason in Week 14 when he's still been, you know, not someone that's been killing them or anything like that i get jonathan taylor had a good game but let's not you know get that confused with the situation where we're immediately expecting him to take on some massive workload that we haven't seen handed out to him all season long uh quickly with the houston running backs david johnson 56 percent snaps duke johnson 55 percent snap that means that they got these guys playing some wide receiver which is good they're both able to do it and he got some wide receivers banged up so david 10 carries two targets duke had two carries and six targets duke could actually be this kind of lower end flex look we're still talking about fewer than 10 combined carries and targets so don't get too carried away but you know with David still being uh, you know the lead running back we're not gonna be able to really embrace either guy as you know a true RB2 maybe David as a lower end touchdown dependent guy he did find the end zone in this one but just realize now with Duke being even more involved it helps Duke a little bit but more than anything it just kind of takes away from the overall RB1 value in this offense maybe you know next week with David being more than one game removed from the IR we'll see him get back to that you know 80-90% role but this was not you know super encouraging for what he'll be here moving on out. PFF uh, Lily stat of the matchup. So Jonathan Taylor, I mentioned that he's been playing a lot better. Now this is missed forced tackles on just carries, not even receptions. Weeks one through 10, he only had nine total missed forced tackles on carries. Last two games alone, he has had eight. So truly, you know, Jonathan Taylor, your eye test serves you correct. He is playing some of the best football of the season at this point. Next game, we got the Lions defeating the Bears 34 to 20, or excuse me, 34 to 30. They came roaring back in this one. And you know, Mitch Trubisky, he got the L. Did not play good. I mean, look, he is pretty much the reason why they lost this game. It would make sense if he is benched because of that. Because, you know, inside his own 10-yard line with all he needed to do on the third down was either try to complete it or just take the sack and you can punt it and you know let your defense at least give him a somewhat long field. Instead of that, nope, he gets strip sacked in Detroit, gets the ball inside a 10-yard line and you know a handoff to Adrian Peterson later, takes the lead at the end. So Mitch was able to drive them, you know, pretty far down into uh, lion territory, but interesting uh you know circumstances there at the end they, he throws an out route to Allen robinson a rob should have gotten this first down. i'm not sure if he just didn't see the marker right or what happened but he ended up backing out of bounds about a half yard short david montgomery got stuffed on fourth down so truly trubisky no picks you know two sacks he actually didn't even or okay he, he did lose the one fumble i mentioned about but other than that fumble which i understand the fumble lost them the game it's hard to say other than the one thing that completely ruined the evening uh you know other than that though uh you look at this game 
game. And the Bears' offense, I mean, it's just 30 points. And last week, even against the Packers, again, Trubisky, too many mistakes, but they were at least putting up points. This is at least a step in the right direction from an offense that largely was unwatchable for the first, you know, three months of the season outside of, you know, that Falcons game in a spot here or there. So it was a big deal to do with the run game. You know, it wasn't all on Trubisky. We saw Montgomery get 72 yards and a pair of scores. My guy Cordero Patterson had 59 yards on the ground and another score. But, I mean, Trubisky, he had some good strikes to Allen Robinson, who had six catches for 75 yards, even Anthony Miller and uh, Darnell Mooney to an extent. So... I would like to see them stick with Trubisky, even though he hasn't really been using his uh, legs all that much. I just think this team and this offense in particular does have a slightly higher ceiling with him under center. Foles might take take care of the ball a little bit better, which I understand is important, but uh, in, in, in fantasy and I think real life as well, uh, the 2020 Bears just have a little higher ceiling with Trubisky under center, even if that ceiling probably isn't as more than an 8-8 eight and eight squad. Uh, with the Bears running back snap count, so it was David Montgomery's show again, 76%, 76% snaps, 17 carries, 4 targets. Didn't bust any big runs, but, you know, he was breaking tackles like he was all year. And now that, you know, the Bears 31st ranked offensive line and yards before contact per attempt was facing, you know, truly in just an atrocious front seven with the Detroit Lions. We did see him actually finding some more room to run. So pitched in 39 yards receiving, mostly just on checkdowns, you know, at the end of the game and, you know, that comeback mode. But you know what? Those are the fancy friendly opportunities you get when your team's uh, three down back. So Montgomery getting closer and closer to that RB1 borderline. We've been calling him a volume-based RB2, but he has back-to-back RB1 weeks. Uh, you know, keep firing him up and starting him into the fancy playoffs. I understand he's not Saquon Barkley, but he pretty much has Saquon Barkley's uh, workload right now. So at least treat him as, you know, a knockoff version because it's been pretty damn good for fancy football business. With the Detroit Lions, Matthew Stafford, 402 yards and three touchdowns through the air, mostly to Marvin Jones, eight catches, 116 yards, and touchdown. But we also saw Amendola, Quintez Cephas, and even TJ Hawkinson finish with between 60 and 85 receiving yards. So we're spreading it around. And, you know, this was a game where no Kenny Galladay, no DeAndre Swift, uh, you know, no even Marvin Hall. So it was a situation where I wasn't sure how Stafford was going to move the ball without his top, uh, you know, field stretchers, without his main underneath option. And the answer was, you know, other than a nice 49-yard touchdown down the field to a Quintez Cephas, just a whole lot of deep chunks down the middle. I mean, I mentioned this before with uh, Tannehill and like Matt Ryan, but I think Stafford can fit that same pool as well sometimes just with his ability, just throw darts, you know, in 20, 20 yards. It seemed like him and Marvin Jones hooked up for like four or five of those just right down the middle. So Marvin continues to ball without Kenny Galladay. Look, this was a, you know, ceiling performance, I think, for the Lions without Galladay in the lineup. We've seen just a, you know, general worst play from everyone involved without the number one receiver there this year. Maybe he had some extra emotions without Patricia. I don't know. I didn't quite buy all that with how the defense performed but you know what congrats Detroit you got to win you got you know the monkey off your back in the post Patricia era uh good for you guys still don't think it's necessarily a team again without Galdi it's been making too much noise and I'm you know not really going to be going back to well too hard with Stafford as an upside more than an upside QB2 uh, unless Galdi gets back into the lineup with this backfield, Adrian Peterson, 16 carries, 57 yards, and another two-touchdown performance after he did so on Thanksgiving. He actually led the team in snaps this time, at least 47%, and this was even in a game, you know, with them trailing for a good amount of the time. So, Carrion Johnson had been leading the team in snaps over the past two weeks, but he, uh, you know, wasn't too far behind, 44%, but only uh, three targets and three carries in this one. So, AP, whether we like it or not, is forcing his, his way into RB2 discussion. It's not pretty, but you know what? It wasn't pretty with Todd Gurley 
early for the first 10 weeks of the season and he was an RB2. Hasn't exactly been that pretty with David Montgomery. You know, we don't get style points in fantasy football. We should. It still does not make sense to me why a pop pass counts the same as a hurdle or a truck stick or an awesome stiff arm. I don't get it. You don't get it. It's the game we play. And Adrian Peterson right now is putting up a lot of points in the game that we love and, know, and love and call fantasy football. So AP, again, it's 2020. I thought we'd be done talking about this guy three years ago. We're not. As long as the Detroit Lions treat him as their RB1, we at least need to treat him as a lower end RB2 in fantasy football. It's wild, but at this point, he's getting too much volume to ignore, and he's not in an offense as bad as the Jets, where we can just ignore him anyway. So AP, Matthew Stafford's RB1, needs to be treated as a legit top 24 option here moving forward, as long as DeAndre Swift remains sidelined. PFF Lily matchup stat. So in eight games this year, Marvin Jones without Kenny Galladay, or, you know, just he's played under 50% snaps. He got hurt in one of them. Marvin Jones in those games, 15.4 PPR points per game and six total touchdowns. And that even inclu- it doesn't include a 55-yard flea flicker for a touchdown that got nullified on a very iffy illegal formation penalty. So truly, you know, like I'm saying, Adrian Peterson's, you know, getting the volume to be in that actual RB2 conversation. I think Marvin Jones is also a legit low-end wide receiver too without Kenny Galladay. He's been proving it uh, for about half the season already. Next game, we got the Vikings defeating the Jaguars 27-24. What a, you know, as someone that had, uh, I had the Vikings and then the freaking Raiders in a money line parlay that, you know, was not fetching me nearly enough money as I had to, uh, you know, sweat out pretty much watching them almost lose to the two worst teams uh, in the league. Vikings in this one, you know, it was more of a first half scare and then like the first play of the second half, Cousins threw a pick six or if it wasn't the first play, it was very close into it wasn't exactly his fault. I mean, Dalvin Cook just didn't turn around, but I don't know. I'm not an NFL quarterback. Are you supposed to throw to wide to receivers that haven't turned around yet? I know you got your timing house and everything like that, but again, just an interesting play. And then on the goal line, when they were about to score uh, later in the game, there was a fumbled exchange uh, between uh, Cousins and Cook. Again, it looked like it was Cousins' fault, but I don't know the exact details. It could have been a little bit on Cook as well. We'll chalk them both, both up to Cousins, whatever. He still played a pretty good game, everybody. Took four sacks, which we don't want to see, but 305 yards, three touchdowns, Kirk Cousins keeps more or less balling and putting up these numbers. And you know what? He's got Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen out there. And those are great guys. And Dalvin Cook, you know, doing his uh, best work with the screens. I know you wouldn't want another running back out there. But at some point, we got to start giving Cousins a little bit more credit for enabling all these guys to go off. I mean, don't forget, you know, sometimes with... I remember I made this mistake when Odell Beckham went from the Giants to, you know, the Browns. We see these quarterbacks, you know, particularly maybe if they're not quite as flashy as someone like Baker was as a rookie. And, you know, we project them to, you know, uh, just we, we don't give these veteran quarterbacks enough credit for enabling these great young wide receivers is the point I'm trying to make. Because I was someone that said, you know, oh, my God, OBJ without Eli's could be so much better. I don't know. And to Kirk Cousins credit, you know, in Washington and now in Minnesota with Diggs, with Thielen and now with Justin Jefferson, the guy sure has been responsible for a lot of great fantasy football and real life wide receivers so you could say the wide receivers are making Kirk Cousins and you might not be wrong but at some point you know as we continue to see more and more just high-end talents emerging in passing games led by Kirk Cousins you gotta look at the guy orchestrating it all and give him some credit so this one wasn't all that easy and you know an overtime win against the Jacksonville Jaguars okay we don't need to crown Kirk after his performance or anything like that but just realize more weeks than not this year Kirk Cousins has truly been playing some very good ball 
with this uh, Vikings backfield, Dalvin Cook, yeah, 87% snaps, 32 carries, 8 targets in a game that, you know, he was potentially going to be uh, eased in after just having the injury scare last week. Was not at all, just unfortunately couldn't find the end zone. So continue to treat Dalvin Cook as fantasy's number one overall running back moving forward. On the Jaguars side of things, Mike Lennon, good, not great game. I thought he played a little better last week, but either way, you know, 280 yards, one touchdown, did have a pair of interceptions and also lost a fumble. So hardly perfect, but you know what? The draft was out there slinging it. He, uh, you was able to find Colin Johnson down the field, gave DJ Chark plenty of chances. No receiver ended up reaching 75 yards, but you know what? Spreading the ball around. And, you know, it could have been a worse game. His one touchdown to LaVisca Chenault was a play that was tipped and probably should have been intercepted. But, uh, you know, still Mike Lennon at, at, the, at a minimum, at a minimum, everybody, for two games, he has led in a below average NFL offense. And that's all we need because the only thing we care about in Jacksonville at this point, with all due respect to potential DJ uh, Chark bounce backs, I think that could happen. The only thing worth a damn in uh, Jacksonville all year long in Fantasyland has been James Robinson. And he kept on, kept keeping on. Uh, 18 carries, 78 yards, and a score in this one on the ground. Another six catches for 30 yards through the air. 84% snaps. James RB1 son has been every bit of the top 10 running back that we've wanted to be all season long. He's going to be a legit top five, top six option here moving forward. The better discussion, you know, if you want to go back um, to this podcast from last uh, Thursday, I had Evan Silva on from Established Run, and we were discussing, you know, the best rookie running back going to 2021 it's gonna be very interesting to watch what the Jacksonville Jaguars do with this running back room going to next year because James Robinson hasn't done anything to not be the starting running back going to 2021 the question is could someone come in and just make this somewhat of a committee because right now with this role if just you know if the Jaguars do nothing and they don't draft anyone in the top you know four or five rounds they get a new coach or whatever but they commit to James Robinson as their lead guy with this role right now this is a top five role in fantasy football at the running back position and credit to James Robinson you know, we've seen guys like Ezekiel Elliott, uh, you know, Joe, eh, Joe Mixon's been hurt, bad example, but we'll stick with Zeke. We've seen guys lose their quarterback, become, you know, just in this bad offense and not be able to produce. That has not been James Robinson. He hasn't been, you know, the be- most efficient back in the league, but the fact he's even above average in this sort of, you know, just general dumpster fire of an offense, just, you know, all the respect in the world of James Robinson and what he's done this year, despite not being dealt the best hand. And I just mean best hand in terms of, you know, his actual surrounding cast, not the opportunity. He actually has been dealt the best hand in opportunity, believe it or not. Uh, PFF Lily matchup stat here. So uh, this is in uh, respect to Justin Jefferson, who had 121 yards, nine catches and a score. Also shout out Adam Thielen, 75 yards, yards and a touchdown uh, himself. And he hit the gritty uh, after the uh, his touchdown. So him and Jefferson going back and forth. Love to see that. But uh, PFF Lily stat, 83 players have at least 50 targets this season. Devontae Adams is number one with averaging 3.02 yards per route run. Number two, Justin Jefferson, 2.87. Justin Jefferson is not just a great rookie wide receiver. He is a great NFL wide receiver, period. Already might legit be in that top 10 conversation. And the fact that he wasn't even his own college team's number one wide receiver can show you, one, you know, we have a lot to learn about player evaluation coming to the NFL. And two, oh my gosh, Chase could be a freaking world beater. Cannot wait to see that guy uh, come out here soon. The season is in full swing and the action is still unfolding, so head over to DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app with so many storylines in both professional and collegiate sports. This is the time to check out all that DraftKings Sportsbook has to offer. If you haven't tried the app yet, head to the App Store now because you do not want to miss this, people. To celebrate Sunday's action, DraftKings is ensuring all new users are covered up to $100. That's right, you bet they cover with risk-free Sunday betting. Additionally, this weekend there is plenty of action to get on, so head to the app now 
to start making it rain. On top of those great sign-up offers, DraftKings offers great odd, odds boosts every Sunday to help you make it rain. DraftKings is safe, reliable, and secure, making it easy for you to deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF when you sign up to get this can't-miss offer. Again, DraftKings Sportsbook is ensuring your Sunday bets up to $100. That's right. You bet and they cover up to $100 when you use promo code PFF during sign-up. For a limited time, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. So, must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. Risk-free coverage paid out in site credits. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Next matchup, we had the Saints defeat the Falcons 21 to 16. So, Taysom Hill. We got to have the Taysom Hill discussion, everybody. First of all, do not be the person that suggests Breeze stays on the bench because of what Taysom Hill has done over the past three weeks. Taysom has produced two of the Saints' three lowest point totals this season with 21 points in this one and 24 points against the Falcons a couple weeks ago. Previously, the Saints had not scored this few points and you had to go back to you know their playoff game against the Vikings, which in that game, Taysom Hill was their brightest source of offense. So over the past two seasons, pretty much, I mean, at least, you know, past season and a half, their three worst scoring games have really come, three of their four worst scoring games have come with Taysom Hill, you know, having his biggest roles that we've seen. This is not a bad offense with Taysom Hill under center. Do not confuse that. Sean Payton and Taysom himself deserve a great job for what Payton's now 8-0 without Drew Brees. And Taysom Hill, you know, 232 yards, pair of touchdowns up through the air, also had a another 83, rush, 83 rushing yards. He's been a dual threat guy. And the Saints, you know, I wrote an article about this on PFF.com last week, you know, breaking down Kamara with Taysom Hill. And I want to be very clear that the Saints as an offense are still an above average unit. The problem is they've taken a nice jump in rushing ability in terms of EPA per play uh, with Taysom under center compared to Breeze, but they've taken such a big back step in passing that it just hasn't been worth the change as a whole. And we've seen that reflected on the scoreboard with these 21, 24 point performances. So first of all, Hill's line a little bit deceiving he had two dropped interceptions and he fumbled not once not twice but three times only lost one there were some drops and he completed like his first 10 third down passes and truly like i'll probably make some all 22 foam later this week showing that he actually made some nice strikes down the field notably to michael thomas who had 105 yards but even emmanuel sanders and traquan smith had some solid catches as well it was just few and far between and just compounded by some just boneheaded mistakes so Taysom, you know he's not giving us exactly this huge just big place ceiling or anything like that. He had the 43-yard rush, but, you know, as long as completion on the day was just 21 yards to Traquan Smith, he's almost playing this, like, game manager-esque role, but he's, you know, a very erratic game manager. So, I don't know. It's a situation where we continue to see the Saints playing with positive game scripts. He hasn't had to, you know, try to come from behind once yet. And, you know, hey, credit to him for not being in a position to have to come from behind uh, yet. He, again, even though he did, even though he had the two drop interceptions, I guess he deserves some credit for not throwing a pick in this one. You know, only two sacks. So he's doing his thing. And, you know, when they, it's, he's a hard guy to sack. So he presents different challenges. And again, this is not a below average offense by any stretch of imagination with Taysom under center. Just realize it is nowhere near the ceiling they have with Drew Brees. And once he is healthy, which is hopefully next week, they 
should go back to him because Taysom continues to murder the high-end fantasy value of Alvin Kamara. He helped us out this week, 88 rushing yards and a touchdown, but still just three targets again, two catches for nine yards for Alvin Kamara. I mean, again, a situation where Taysom is checking down at about half the rate of Drew Brees, the lowest rate in the league of checkdowns. He's also holding the ball just a really long time and then usually taking off instead of throwing to Kamara in those type of scramble drill situations as well. So Kamara, the one missed target was actually downfield. If Taysom had put the ball in a little better, he could have had room to run. You know, Kamara looked great rushing the ball and Latavius Murray landed five carries for uh, 17 yards despite playing 40% of the snaps. I mean, Alvin Kamara is going to still be getting, you know, around 15 touches per game. It's like, it's almost like Antonio Gibson right now, but we just don't even have a J.D. McKissick to bitch about. It's just a Taysom Hill. Taysom Hill is our, you know, J.D. McKissick. It's just a much better overall offense and a much better team. But that is the one player really limiting Kamara uh, from rising to that, you know, top three running back heights that we saw for most of the year. So credit Michael Thomas, you know, clearing the century mark again. Uh, still hasn't found the end zone, you know, in a bit, but uh, I still think he's going to be with Taysom him a wide receiver two versus wide receiver one more weeks than not but hey you know credit to him for making the most out of his third quarterback in the past two years you know for the amount of times that we make fun of Drew Brees for not being able to throw down field that never really seems to be given uh, credit to Michael Thomas in these top wide receiver conversations but I digress great win for the Saints their defense continues to kick ass and uh, you know Taysom hey he keeps winning but again just I really hope Peyton doesn't make this switch because I truly do believe the Saints overall ceiling is so much higher with Drew Brees under center even if they can also be a winning football football team with Taysom. Falcons side of the ball. They had Julio Jones back playing through the pain, hobbling off the field a time or two, but stayed on out there playing through the hamstring pain. I think he might have even gotten diagnosed with a knee injury as well, but either way, six catches, 94 yards on 10 targets. Calvin Ridley had five catches for 108 yards on 10 targets. Kind of dropped a touchdown. Wasn't able to get his feet in either way, but missed opportunity there, but then Matt Ryan probably had a better ball uh, chance to Ridley as well, so could have been a bigger performance from him. Either way, Calvin Ridley is a pretty much undefeated streak of putting up solid fantasy performances with at least eight targets. Lives on. Not the best game for Matt Ryan, you know, 273 yards and a touchdown, uh, you know, on 39 attempts, but a, a less than a 50% completion rate. Just realize the Saints defense, since their bye, only the Rams have been better in terms of EPA allowed per play. Uh, truly playing some great ball and, you know, even not having Janoris Jenkins out there. We saw Marshawn Lattimore trying to make life tough on Calvin Ridley, even though uh, Lattimore is losing a lot of those battles. And just in general, the Saints pass rush was making life tough on Ryan as they had really for the majority uh, of their opponents throughout the year. Uh, backfield in Atlanta was a come complete mess. Ido Smith did suffer a head injury, I think, at the end, so keep an eye on that, but Look, the reasons we got behind Todd Gurley earlier in this year were because he was getting literally 15 plus touches every single game. And, you know, usually in the carries, it wasn't a ton of targets, but it was a higher scoring Falcons offense. But Gurley has the undisputed bell cow back. That is no longer the case, people. Todd Gurley. Don't cut him because maybe this, you know, changes in a week or two, but he is not someone that should be in your starting fantasy football lineup in week 14, really under any circumstances. Edo Smith led the way here, 37% snaps. Gurley was just at 30%. Brian Hill at 17%. Edo had eight carries. Brian Hill had five. Gurley had eight. And Edo had two targets compared to just one for Gurley. So before, it was Brian Hill, uh, you know, sticking his nose in his way a little bit. Now it's Brian Hill and Edo Smith, and they're taking away the rush attempts. I mean, usually this was a situation where they were the pass down backs. Now Gurley He's not even getting that. So this is before even pointing out that Gurley does not look anywhere close to 100%. Really hasn't for the whole season, but at least in the first month or so, he showed some burst. That was gone in this one. So Saints are the best defense in the league in uh, PPR points per game allowed to opposing RBs. But either way, it's the volume distribution that makes Gurley a non-starter for pretty much anybody here moving forward. 
PFF only matchup stat. I got to go back to Alvin Kamara's situation. In weeks one through 10, Alvin Kamara had 78 targets. That was tied for ninth among all players in the league. In weeks 11 through 13 with Taysom Hill under center, Alvin Kamara has three freaking targets. There is a four, four targets. Tied for 165th people. Not great. Not great at all. Some would even say bad. Next matchup, 4 o'clock games. Now, Rams beat the Cardinals 38-28. Credit to uh, Jared Goff on, you know, kind of coming back, just throwing a lot of short stuff. And, he, it was, you know, it seemed to be really be a focus on getting the ball out quick. There weren't many downfield opportunities. You know, 37 for 47, uh, 351 yards, but only that's 7.5 uh, yards per attempt. So, certainly wasn't a game we saw, you know, Josh Reynolds or Van Jefferson really get loose uh, downfield at all. But, hey, when you got Robert Woods and Cooper Cup who can get open against pretty much anyone underneath intermediate areas, areas of the field, why not? Woods caught 10 of 11 targets for 85 yards. Cup caught 8 of 9 targets for 73 yards. Even Gerald Everett caught 6 of 7 targets for 40 44 yards. So seems like this maybe this new look Rams offense. They're almost embracing like a Steelers-esque mentality where their running back might get 15 to 20 carries, but in the passing game, it's going to be short stuff to your talented wide receivers on the outside with their quarterback, you know, trying not to take sacks, trying not to make mistakes. And Jared Goff, he needed, uh, you know, just a no turnover game after making all sorts of mistakes over the past few weeks. You know, I added a QB sneak as well. So this was a good performance from him in fantasy land and in real life. So we'll see. Uh, similar to Baker Mayfield, like nothing Jared Goff did in this game was like stuff that he had never done before. And we just love seeing it. But hey, you know, he had a good game. We got to give him credit for that. And Fancy lane, he's still not going to be much more than, you know, a boomer bust QB2 uh, more weeks than not. But we have seen, you know, more of a willingness in L.A. to embrace his passing game, which is going to make Woods and Cup, uh, you know, continue to be upside wide receiver twos as opposed to those lower end options that we thought they were in the more run first version of this offense. I want to talk about this backfield. Cam Akers led the way, 65% snaps, 21 carries, one target. Daryl Henderson, 20% snaps, three carries, three targets. Malcolm Brown all the way down at 15% snaps, three carries, one target. Here's the problem, everybody. Henderson suffered a knee injury in the first half. He did not play for most of the first half, even though he started the game. Then Henderson came out. He had three carries for 49 yards and a touchdown. He busted off a nice 38-yard touchdown run that I think if Akers had done, people would be paying a lot more attention to. Akers played well. I think Akers has looked like their best running back since their bye with Henderson dealing with a quad injury and now a knee injury, he hasn't seemingly been 100%. Malcolm Brown is pretty much out of the picture in terms of threatening the carrier target lead. He's still maintaining involvement. He still, you know, could see his snaps go up more. They trust him as, you know, a pass down guy and a short yardage guy, but it makes sense that Akers and Henderson at the top. Just don't be expecting Akers to all of a sudden take on the Todd Gurley role and completely take over again. Henderson was hurt in the first half, and we need to mention this when we're breaking down this backfield. We can't just look at the total touch distribution and say, wow, Akers can completely touched it because a lot of those touches were coming in the first half so hey acres has played well he's earned more you know touches but don't tell me this 3.4 yards per carry effort was something that was just so much better than anything henderson or anyone's achieved all season long it was like a month ago that we were talking all talking about how henderson has looked like the best running back for the rams and truthfully in the first couple weeks of the year you could probably say that about malcolm brown so the only you know consistency in this rams backfield has been inconsistency and we got to be careful about you know expecting that to change just because of one good game from cam Akers. we've seen good games from malcolm brown from daryl henderson We've seen good games from Cam Akers earlier this year where he was then relegated back to the bench for a, a prolonged stretches. So, again, Sean McVay, a very smart guy, you know, far smarter than I will ever be. And, you know, he's going to go out there and uh, do his thing. And it's been successful. And the Rams sitting at 8-4. and four, They just hung 38 points on the Cardinals. I'm just not convinced in a year where he has continuously told us they like all three backs. They're continuing to use all three. I'm not convinced Cam Akers has just seized control of this backfield in a game where we continue to not see him used all that much as a receiver, although he did have a 
nice 22-yard catch and run on a screen. I just don't know if they trust him yet to handle his three-down roll because they haven't trusted anybody to handle that three-down roll ever since Todd Gurley left. So, Akers, you know, hey, he's my number one-ranked Rams running back next week, but it's going to be far closer to that RB, you know, 24, RB 25 line, you know, at that RB2 borderline as opposed to the RB12, RB13 line uh, where the RB1's rest. Uh, with the Cardinals, Kyler Murray, another game where he just wasn't running the ball. That shoulder injury clearly, uh, you know, impacting his mindset, not impacting his legs. Like, you can obviously still run fast with the hurt shoulder but you know just his third straight game for only five carries it's a no-go in fantasy land you know it's you know i don't want to compare every situation to alvin kamara god Taysom hill is haunting my dreams at this point people but uh it is really like alvin kamara in the sense that kyla murray like kamara can be a great fantasy asset purely on his passing ability and he did throw three touchdowns in this one even though it's only only 173 yards the problem is you know he goes from a lower end qb1 to the overall qb1 who was once averaging earlier this season the most fantasy points per game at the position in a single season ever that was all because of his insanely wild rushing floor so you take away the rushing floor for Kyler just like you take away targets for Kamara you just don't have the same fancy asset and we need to adjust accordingly Kyler is going to be someone that's going to have to work his way back into the top five uh, at the position with these uh, running backs, Kenyon Drake, 10 carries, 49 yards, and a score. Kenyon Drake's been playing some good ball uh, lately, people. I understand that, you know, Chase Edmonds has been uh, probably playing better on the season as a whole, but I don't think it's a situation where we should just be crying foul that Drake continues to work ahead of Chase Edmonds. I mean, particularly in the receiving game, we see some good things from Drake over the past few weeks. And, you know, it's not like he's going out there. Like, I don't think we should be looking back at this game going, man, you know, if only uh, Chase Edmonds had been out there and said, Kenyon Drake, this could have been a whole different picture uh, for the Arizona Cardinals, but you know, Drake has been playing a little bit better recently. And fantasy land guys coming in this game, PPR RB14. So I understand he's let us down uh, as for on the season as a whole, but he's coming on strong. And with Kyler not running as much, we've seen uh, you know, Drake's targets and carries continue to be in a very good place. So Edmonds, you know, with his just you know, more limited workload, he's nothing more than a lower end flex play in the kind of Duke Johnson mold. Drake, though, is going to continue to be that you know, upper end RB2 as long as he continues to see uh, these sort of carries and goal line carries without Kyler uh, really using that running game as much as you know his talents have in him with these uh, passing game. So Dan Arnold had a 59-yard touchdown uh, early on where pretty much the entire defense sucked up to Hopkins and Kyler was able to hit uh, Arnold. After that, though, only his only other completion that went over 10 yards was to Keyshawn Johnson. That was only 12 yards. So Kyler Murray just couldn't get anything going consistently down the field. DeAndre Hopkins, eight catches, 52 yards, and one touchdown. Hey, I mean, it was a nice touchdown pass and everything. And we also saw Arnold get another nice touchdown uh, from the goal line. But it's just very hard to move the ball up and down the field without any sort of explosive plays. You know, Kenyon Drake had a 27-yard run, but usually Kyler has given us those explosive plays on the ground as well. So I think that's probably the main issue we've seen from the Cardinals offense really throughout the past two years is that inability to consistently create explosive plays. I mean, Christian Kirk, you know, one catch for two yards. Andy Isabella, two catches for seven yards. These are the guys that they want to be able to create big plays downfield, just haven't quite been able to do anything in this passing game consistently other than feed DeAndre Hopkins. So look, this was a matchup against probably the best defense in the entire league in the Los Angeles Rams. Don't sweat it too much just realize you know this Cardinals offense still not quite in that you know world beating form that we know they have a chance of reaching uh, some point in the near future PFF Lily matchup stat. So, yeah, I want to talk about these Rams backfield because Daryl Henderson remains the highest graded PFF running back on the Rams. Give credit to Akers. He has a better, you know, misforced tackle rate and he has, you know, is averaging more yards after contact per attempt, but only four targets on the year for Cam Akers, 26 for Malcolm Brown, 22 for Daryl Henderson. Akers is playing well, but again, maybe cool off the breakout party talks. 
Next matchup, this one likely cost you some money if you're a gambling man, or maybe not. Maybe you're uh, just smarter than me. But Giants 17, Seahawks 12. Man, I just did not see this one coming, everybody. And apparently neither did the Seahawks and Russell Wilson. You know, 27 for 43, 263 yards, one touchdown, one pick, but five sacks taken. Also saw Russ lose a fumble. I mean, again, even like Russ's bad games are not, saying a Russ bad game is like a Jared Goff bad game just doesn't add up. But still, this was anyone's idea of a bad game from Russ. He hit Chris Carson uh, on a 28-yard touchdown where he was rolling out to his left, and he found him. And look, Carson dropped a couple balls, too, and Metcalf had it drop down the middle. Like, it wasn't a perfect game by any stretch, but we just didn't see a bunch of big plays out of this passing game. I mean, no completions of at least 30 yards or more. And I know it's a little bit of an arbitrary number, but come on, we're used to seeing Metcalf rip off a couple of those per week, potentially. It's been, you know, now closer to a month, if not longer, that we've seen Lockett have, you know, a true breakout performance and it was against a Giants defense that is good maybe we're not giving him enough credit but I just thought you know Russell Wilson company were capable of overcoming even the best defenses because of you know the extent that they were cooking but we haven't quite seen that same you know higher version of Russell Wilson and the Seahawks offense for uh, you know the better part of the last five weeks so don't want to spoil the PFF Lily staff but yeah this has not been the same uh, Russell Wilson of late you know give a lot of credit to James Bradbury for making life tough on DK Metcalf and just you know the New York Giants as a whole even though uh, you know, they did have a, I find it hilarious. Like, you know, Joe Judge comes over as, you know, a big special teams guy and all that. Last week, they played the Bengals. They gave up a kick return touchdown. They gave up another punt return to Alex Erickson, the 50-yard line that almost lost in that game. And in this game, they have a punt blocked before halftime that the Seahawks, oh my gosh, they end up only getting a safety. They had like three guys. The Seahawks had just fell on that punt in the end zone before halftime. Could have been a different game. You know, alas, they didn't. But just hilarious that the Giants really, despite these crucial special teams mishaps over the past two weeks, have found ways to win. First, a game against a brutal Bengals team, but now a game on the road against, you know, anyone's idea of a great team in the Seattle Seahawks. So, man, maybe great is a strong word. I don't know. These Seahawks certainly look like the same world beaters we saw in the first half of the season. But, uh, you know, either way, we cannot take too much away from the Giants winning. I just don't want to say, I don't want to sit here and be like, you know, Russell Wilson played awful. This is all on the Seahawks. Like, no, the Giants won this game, even though they freaking made some mistakes themselves and they hardly put forth the best offensive effort. So give the Giants credit for forcing the Seahawks to play to this level. I don't think, you know, we're, I don't think this is going to be the new norm for the Seahawks or anything like that. This was you know Russ's worst game of the season but honestly like we do need to look at the New York Giants defense and you know treat them as you know the very more than above average honestly as the great unit that they've been for the better part of the last month at a minimum with the Seattle backfield, Chris Carson got up to a 59% snap rate, 13 carries, 6 targets. I caught some flack on Twitter last week because they pulled one of my quotes from this podcast, you know, talking this thing for like 4 or 5 hours, and then they pull out one quote and everyone on Twitter <laughs> goes bonkers. But I'm not even backing down from it, but all I said was that Carson and Hyde could be approaching a 50-50 split because last week Hyde was actually a 60% back and uh, Carson was like the 35% guy. I know, that was Carson's first game back from injury, and if you look at the whole quote, you know, I'm saying Carson will be the RB1 here obviously and and then Carlos Hyde having a hamstring injury throughout this week you know threw away any talks of that but just realize Rashad Penny is supposed to be coming back to practice this week and last year, when Penny and Carson were healthy together, it was really, truly a 50% situation going back and forth. And if we haven't seen that in a while, maybe Rashad Penny, you know, isn't going to be able to come back and even get activated. We need to see that, you know, him being in the picture before we need to worry about him. I understand that. But if Carson is healthy with a healthy Hyde or Penny, we have evidence of them splitting snaps at least more so than we saw in the earlier parts of last year. I mean, Carson, you know, he caught the touchdown, but before that, 13 carries and, uh, you know, he only had uh, six total targets. He caught 
three of them. So the six targets is fine as long as he is getting, you know, the main goal line touches and a nice pass down roll in the Seahawks offense. He's going to have some solid scoring upside, but it's the difference between kind of being a borderline RB1 and being a top five, top six back that we've seen him function as uh, over the years. Now on this Giants offense, so Colt McCoy, you know, gritty, just gym rat performance by him. Come on, 100, 105 yards, one touchdown, one interception. He made a nice throw to Evan Ingram on uh, one of their last drives. The interception was off Ingram's hand, so we shouldn't hate on him too much. But this was just not a game where Colt McCoy was asked to do much of anything, and then he didn't do much in the uh, you know opportunities he was presented. So nobody had over 35 receiving yards. Sterling Shepard and Darius Slayton, just one reception each. Like, come on, man. None of these guys are going to be viable fancy options as long as Daniel Jones remains sideline. And even Daniel Jones, when he comes in, I mean, one of my points in my QB rankings article last week, which why I didn't want to stream McCoy was that, you know, Daniel Jones going into this week was 24th in fantasy points per game on pure passing production. This passing game has really been broken all year long. I like Shepard. I like Tate. And I love Golden Tate. He's been one of my favorite players of the last decade. Shepard and Slayton specifically are talented wide receivers. I'm just not, you know, I don't trust one, mainly Jason Garrett's ability to really scheme them to any sort of success and two, uh, the erraticness uh, of Daniel Jones sometimes, uh, especially with when pressure gets to him and Colt McCoy from what we've seen so far. So as long as Colt McCoy stays under center, stay the hell away from everyone this passing game, except maybe Evan Ingram, even then we're talking a borderline tight end one. With this backfield, Wayne Gallman busted off a 60-yard run, looked good out there, uh, 16 carries, 135 yards. Unfortunately, everybody Alfred Morris vultured the goal line score. So this is why we were a little bit late getting around to Wayne Gallman, you know, on this podcast in terms of waiver wire option because they've continued to use Alfred Morris on uh, with goal line work and Deion Lewis, uh, you know, and the pass down stuff. So Alfred Morris, 20% snaps in this one. Deion Lewis, 22%. Wayne Gallman, 49%. So it truly is a three-back committee. Gallman's the clear lead guy, but, you know, we're not getting any targets for him. And it's just a situation where the early down short yard stuff for the goal line is just as likely to go to Gallman as it is to Alfred Morris. So Gallman's still the clear RB1 with the Giants, but, you know, this is why he's remaining a clear, you know, closer to that RB20, RB24 range, as opposed to anything higher. We cannot trust these committees, uh, you know, with three running backs as far as we can throw them. PFF Lillian matchup stat. So the first eight games of the year, Russell Wilson did not have a PFF grade under 75. He's had three under 70 in the last five weeks against the Bills, Rams, and now the Giants. So the 6.1 yards per attempt he averaged this week was a new season low mark despite him holding on to the ball as long as he has all year long. Just again, it was an absence of the usual Russ magic that almost no other quarterback can create. But, you know, we expect it from Russ. Just didn't see it in this one. Thank you, as always, for listening to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Everybody, three more matchups. Patriots freaking blanked the Chargers 45 to nothing. It was maybe the most underwhelming offensive performance we've ever seen in a 45 to nothing game, which I mean, okay, it wasn't like Cam Newton and company couldn't move the ball at all. He engineered some touchdown drives, but only 69 passing yards and a short goal line score in the Keel Harry. You know, give Cam credit, 14 carries, 48 yards, two touchdowns. You know, he still gave us some fancy goodness with that rushing production, but certainly wasn't, you know, a massive bounce back spot that we were waiting for uh, from this passing game. I did love seeing Cam get his swagger back when he scored and then the other guys. I'm, I'm a Cam Stan, everybody, so got to take a little bit of my analysis with him with a grain of salt sometimes, but I just like seeing when this dude's happy. Football is more fun with Cam Newton in it, but unfortunately, uh, you know, with this Patriots passing game looking the way it does, we cannot trust any of these receivers, you know, Jacoby Myers, Nikhil Harry, uh, you know, even freaking Gunnar Olszewski, who's now just the best punt returner in the league. Apparently, uh, he scored a touchdown with Jared Stidham under center later in the game. No, cannot trust any of these wide receivers. Do not start them in any fantasy football format. 
uh, here throughout the fantasy football playoffs. And honestly, the running game is looking pretty much the same way. We thought we thought we had a two running back backfield in New England, but Bill Belichick has freaking screwed us once again. Damon Harris, 48% snaps. Sony Michelle, 33%. James White, 29%. Like, even though Damian Harris was getting most of the kind of the first half work, he had 16 carries. Sonny Michelle only had 10. Like, Cam Newton stole the goal line touchdowns. We already know he's going to steal the goal line touchdowns. And James White, with a few times they do throw the running backs, is going to be the guy that usually gets those targets. So, with that happening, it's already a rough enough role for Damian Harris. It's not like that when things go right, he's an RB1. When things go right, he's usually an RB2. And now we add Sonny Michelle to take him away from that, you know, 25 rush attempt potential and keep him around the 16 we saw. No, Damon Harris is someone that's not going to be a recommended start because we now see proof that the Patriots are willing to go back to Sony Michelle as in a three RB committee system. And honestly, James White's going to be pretty impossible to get behind as well. Only four targets in this one. He caught three of them, but clearly they do not you know feel any need to make James White you know just a feature part of their passing game. And again, three backs instead of two can't do it. Everybody with these uh, Chargers now, Justin Herbert. Man, just the floor game of all floor games here. Going in this game, Justin Herbert had at least 300 passing yards and or three total touchdowns in every game this year. Just 209 yards, no scores, two interceptions, and this one did not chip in any sort of rushing contribution. Just a brutal game from Justin Herbert. Look, like he was getting pressured. He took three sacks, but I think more than anything, they just weren't hitting those big plays we're used to seeing. He was trying deep shots to Mike Williams, Jalen Guyton. They got close a few times, but ultimately no completions over 25 yards. You know, Keenan Allen, five catches, 48 yards, was having a tough time separating from Stephon Gilmore. Um, Mike Williams, only four catches, 43 yards. So really, I think we've seen them, you know, Tyron Johnson, Jalen Guyton, even these complimentary receivers you might not know as well. They've been able to manufacture a big passing place because of some of the heroics Herbert's been able to pull off just wasn't going in this one. And, you know, situation where I think the Chargers have not done him any favors uh, schematically, a lot of the stuff that he has been able to do has almost been, you know, schoolyard, just avoiding oncoming rushers and making the most out of it. A lot of screens on the table, too. So, again, hardly, you know, the best offensive effort put forth by Anthony Lennon company, but no doubt about it, the worst game we have seen from Herbert to this point. I'm not freaking out. We saw the Miami Dolphins and Brian Flores give him a lot of trouble a couple weeks ago. Bill Belichick and company were able to, you know, pretty much play the same defense against him and cause that. So, he's got to figure it out, but... Still surrounded by Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Austin Eckler, and these guys. I, I'm still comfortable firing up Herbert as a top, you know, top six at a minimum top eight fantasy QB the rest of the way, even though this performance obviously didn't go the way we wanted. In the backfield, Austin Eckler, 61% snaps, eight carries, six targets. Kalen Balaj, 37% snaps, seven carries, four targets. Joshua Kelly pretty much out of the picture. Snaps would have been a little bit more in Eckler's favor if uh, the Chargers had a little bit more positive game script. But either way, you know, it's not concerning. We still saw Eckler get nine targets, unfortunately. She only caught four of them for uh, 32 yards, but in the post Melvin Gordon era here, like they're not going to give Eckler 25 carries a game. That's fine. We have Austin Eckler for his Alvin Kamara role, which is, you know, 12 to 15 carries, more weeks than not. I know he didn't get this one, but 12 to 15 carries and then hopefully 10 plus targets and who freaking knows how much receiving production they could get. So that's why we have Austin Eckler. He didn't quite get in this one, but make no mistake about it. They're going to keep throwing him the ball. This remains, you know, the freaking least competition he's really ever had to deal with. Austin Eckler, they have 24 million reasons to continue to feature I mean, he's their best running back. Like, don't, don't, don't give me this Kalen Balage. We already talked about Joshua Kelly earlier this year, you know, coming in and unseating Austin Eckler. I realize it was more Balage than we wanted to see, but do not get it twisted. Austin Eckler remains a fantasy RB1 moving forward, and he's going to be in my top five, top six again in uh, week 14. I'm not letting this performance uh, get in my, you know, just uh, line of Austin Eckler uh, stand at all. 
Quick notes here. Uh, with this game, I mean, just realize, again, I mentioned it being a 45 nothing win. That just didn't feature much offensive goodness. Gunnar Olszewski is looking like the freaking best punt returner in the league. This freaking small white dude that weighs, you know, 180 pounds, dripping wet. And the reason I say white dude, there's a hilarious picture of him in the locker room after uh, a game last year, I think against the Jets, where he uh, had, like, his coming out party. You know, it was like a one catch and a touchdown. But he was just sitting there in the locker room, like in a white wife beater with a giant dip in just looking like a good old you know country boy it's just hilarious some of the guys the Patriots can find to uh, throw the ball to some of these days but Gunner freaking punt return for a touchdown this week last week he had a punt return for a touchdown get nullified and then he took another punt return back this one like inside a 10 yard line so it's hardly like he's you know Dante Hall out there making just ridiculous moves but Gunner hey the production's coming man and, and you know especially today's NFL we don't see you know this sort of uh, punt return goodness so give Gunner all the credit in the world for uh, these big plays helps you know score one touchdown helps set up another and then also the Patriots blocked a field goal at the end of the first half and brought that back for a touchdown so three freaking scores directly uh, you know brought on by special teams play gotta love it and gotta hate it if you are the Los Angeles Chargers uh, coaching staff PFF Lily stat of the matchup. So Cam Newton, you say we will about his passing stats. Haven't been great. Tough to, you know, really remove that from the situation and the cards he's been dealt, but whatever, we're talking rushing here. This season on the ground, Cam Newton, 106 carries, 435 yards, 11 rushing touchdowns for his projected 15-game total because he missed the game. 145 carries, 593 yards, 15 touchdowns. That's career-best carry in touchdown marks and his most rushing yards since 2017. I feel like the big concern coming into this year was, hey, is Cam still the same sort of athlete to give us the you know, high-end rushing production uh, that we've seen in the past. In reality, we've gotten the rushing production we wanted. Hasn't quite been the same passing floor, but I'm not convinced that that's gone because, you know, we look at this Patriots offense, and I understand Cam hasn't quite been the solution in the passing game because they haven't found any solution to it, but I don't think he's been the problem as well. They need to surround him with some semblance of high-end receivers. Obviously, we saw someone like Tom Brady, who's a pretty smart guy, uh, not want to wait around and deal with it. So Cam, even though the passing hasn't been great, realize the rushing has been as good as ever, and the passing is not exactly exactly all on him. Next matchup, we had the Packers defeat the Eagles 30-16. to This was a beatdown, really from, I mean, the beginning. I mean, Philly got up early, but Packers, you know, built that 14-3 to halftime lead, and it was 20-3 to uh, by the end of the third quarter. So Jalen Hurts came in, uh, got a touchdown, and then Jalen Rager took a pump back, so briefly had a chance to maybe make things interesting, but Aaron Jones had a nice dagger, 77-yard touchdown run. But realize Aaron Rodgers, I mean, 295 yards and three touchdowns through the air. Should have been around 350 yards. He threw a bomb, like seriously, maybe one of the longest balls like just thrown the entire league this year uh, to Marquez Ball of Scaling who dropped it. Uh, 55, 60 yard bomb just dropped. I'm not, don't, don't hit on MVS too much. He had an awesome downfield block on that Aaron Jones touchdown, but certainly not the first time this year uh, we've seen some air yards left on the field at the, uh, you know, account of Marquez Ball of Scaling, but Aaron Rodgers stays balling and honestly, if he's going to be playing like this, I know he had the stinker against Tampa Bay that one week, but man, tough to see anyone in this, you know, wide open NFC knocking off Green Bay if Aaron Rodgers is going to be on top of his game, particularly with Devontae Adams, 10 catches, 121 yards, and a pair of scores. You know, Darius Slay tried to guard him. Darius Slay could not. Nobody can guard Devontae Adams. He'll remain fantasy's overall wide receiver one. Also, shout out Robert Tunyon catching a uh, touchdown. He is, you know, fantasy's a legit top five tight end. He had the three touchdown game earlier in the year, carrying a lot of that weight. But as we've seen over the past three weeks, he can still find the end zone uh, in this, you know, later season edition of the Packers. So continue to fire up Adams and Tunyon as, as you know, the highest of uh, and fantasy options. Same thing with Aaron Jones. 
We did see Aaron Jones separate himself a little bit from Jamal Williams here. And this, we only see Jamal Williams really get close to uh, the same amount of touches as Aaron Jones and massive blowouts or when like Devontae and like legit wide receivers are out. But in this one, Aaron Jones, 66% snaps, 16 carries, three targets. Jamal is at 34%, five and two. So Jones, every week RB1. Williams, nothing more than a high-end handcuff, you know, super weak, uh, low-end flex option. With the Eagles, Carson Wentz had five drives. He took four sacks, 79 passing yards. And honestly, like, it was even worse than that. Like, he got Dallas Goddard on a 41-yard, like, kind of broken play, blown coverage situation. But other than that, just nothing was going for Carson Wentz. It was almost, like, merciful if they took him out uh, at this point for Jalen Hurts. And credit to Hurts. I mean, I think this is going to be someone that we really want to pay attention to in fantasy football land. Because in just one half, uh, you know, one half of work, even less than that, you know, considering when they took Wentz out, Jalen Hurts racked up five carries for 29 yards and also 109 yards and a touchdown through the air and had a couple uh, sacks along the way. So he threw a pick at the end, you know, trying to do his thing down two scores. But really, I've been impressed with what we've seen from Hurts as a passer. He had a bomb down the sideline to Jalen Rager for 34 yards that was perfectly thrown. And then like fourth and 18, he rolled out of the pocket to his right and hit Greg Ward for a 32-yard score. So really, I mean, I understand that he's not going to be anywhere near the type of polished passer that he'll need uh, to eventually be to succeed in the NFL. But we don't need him to be that right now because this Eagles offense is, you know, in all likelihood going to embrace if they decide to go on with Jalen Hurts, they're going to embrace a more run-heavy approach with Jalen Hurts' dual threat talents as the focus of it. And as we have seen in fantasy football, everybody having that sort of dual threat option under center is a fantasy football cheat code. So, you know, I'm not sure if they're going to make the total move, but I'd be shocked at this point if we see Wentz back under center in a full, you know, one QB capacity. Jalen Hurts is someone that you might want to consider signing down the fantasy playoff stretch if you're in a two QB league because again, that rushing upside is a cheat code. And as we saw, you know, like with 2018 Lamar Jackson, he was still returning, you know, QB one value, even though his passing progression wasn't anywhere near what we saw in 2019 and even 2020. So it doesn't make much sense. Again, fantasy football isn't always, uh, you know, a game that reflects what we want to see in terms of, you know, real life goodness. But just realize Jalen Hurts has that sort of fantasy friendly dual threat, uh, just uh, skill set that's going to make him, you know, a legit potential top 12 option down the way if they do decide to part ways with Carson Wentz in terms of him being their starter. With this backfield, Miles Sanders played uh, 59% of snaps, 10 carries, one target. Boston Scott, 22% of snaps, two carries, two targets. And Jordan freaking Howard making this a three-back committee, 19% snaps, four carries. If Jalen Hurts is under center, I think we see Miles Sanders you know, get closer to 15, 20 targets. But now that's hurting his pass down work. He's going to be a low-end RB2 here moving forward. Not necessarily because of his talents, although he hasn't done you know a ton of his opportunities as of late, but just because Boston Scott's coming in when they get down a lot. And now with Jordan Howard potentially taking away some short yards work. Not good for Miles Sanders. It's unfortunate it's turned out this way, everybody. PFF the only matchup stat. Aaron Rodgers has thrown, uh, so this is Aaron Rodgers when he's thrown at least 20 yards downfield, has a league high 1,117 passing yards, 10 touchdowns versus one interception, league high 27 big time throws, and just three turnover worthy plays. You know, I, I was saying, you know, earlier in the year, Russell Wilson and DK Metcalf was the you know, scariest thing when you see that ball uh, leave your television screen and you're wondering who it's going to and you see it's Metcalf. I'll still say that's number one, but man, oh man, Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, if that's not number one, again, it's 
probably there, right? Number two. This is, you know, just the most, as, as Danny Kelly from the Ringer likes to call it, you know, Devontae Adams is inevitable. And that's what, you know, you pretty much see every single time uh, when you're going through these Green Bay Packer passing. It's just absolutely wild just how easy they continuously make it look week after week after week. Adams, he had that Lions game where he got hurt and then he had the Tampa Bay game in his first game back. Other than that, scored in every single game this season. It is truly inevitable when we're talking about Devontae Adams in his Packers passing game. Final one of the night, Sunday night football. The Chiefs beat the Broncos 22-16. Patrick Mahomes, we've seen him look actually human against the Broncos in the past, but I mean, even in this one, wasn't exactly you know, a down performance by any stretch of the imagination. He's never really had a down performance, which is absolutely wild. But hey, we are talking about, in my opinion, the likely GOAT in the future. I mean, I don't want to get too far ahead of it, but come on. Patrick Mahomes at this very second is playing quarterback at a higher level than I think anyone that has ever done it. I mean, 318 yards and a touchdown. He had one deep shot to Tyreek Hill that I, I think it was more on Mahomes. Again, it's tough to tell because I'm not an NFL quarterback or wide receiver, but open Tyreek. One of the things that's so good about Tyreek is his ability to kind of track balls downfield. Wasn't able to get this one. Kind of had to change, you know, his viewpoint. Again, I think it was on Mahomes' fault. We'll say it was. Then... Tyreek Hill gets hit in the chest on 50-yard pass. Freaking pops up in the air. Tyreek Hill accidentally catches the football. Everyone is shocked. No one thinks he caught it. Not even the coaches. And they send out their punt team and they punt it before anyone can realize that, holy crap, Tyreek Hill actually just caught that ball. And then number three, he does actually finally complete a touchdown pass to Tyreek Hill for about 48 yards. Tyreek Hill scores and everything. Nullified on a holding call. So not one, not two, but three potential 50-yard touchdowns to Tyreek Hill ultimately did not come to fruition again I think one was Mahomes' fault one you could argue wouldn't have happened because of the hold and the other one should have been a touchdown but the NFL didn't uh, you know deem it to be and the Chiefs did not go ahead and call it so you know quiet 318 yards and a touchdown from Patrick Mahomes in a performance that largely featured you know the same sort of just ridiculous goodness that we've largely seen from him ever since he got you know his true uh, first run as a starter in 2018 with these wide receivers, I mean, Travis Kelsey, or okay, tight end, tight end wide receiver, whatever you want to call him, nobody can guard Travis Kelsey. Eight catches, 136 yards, and a score. Tyreek, you know, again, six catches, 58 yards, uh, also chipped in 38 yards on the ground. So, you know, you end up getting 88 total yards, not hardly the worst, you know, performance to see, but realize it could have been so much more. Uh, Sammy Watkins, 35 yards, Demarcus Robinson, 39 yards. It's Tyreek and uh, Kelsey. Mahomes has really been willing to just feed these two guys the ball over just about anybody else, uh, continue to fire them up. You know, Kelsey, obvious tight end one. Tyreek, top three wide receiver on a weekly basis. That probably is a little bit closer to two. Uh, the more we uh, look at uh, DeAndre Hopkins, just a little bit, little bit struggling uh, with the Arizona Cardinals. With this run game, Clyde Eversley-Lair, uh, he was out there, apparently emergency only with the, uh, you know, flu, non-COVID symptoms. But this is a tough situation. You know, this is probably going to lead to people not playing guys when they're active after the flu. You know, ideally, we could have gotten some more inside information about this, you know, from some of the reporters and beat writers who, you know, it's their job to try to find us these sort of hints. But unfortunately, that was not the case. So it is what it is. Le'Veon Bell, 58% snap, 10 carries, 3 targets. Didn't look particularly good uh, with any of them. Daryl Williams, 6 carries, 38 yards. Look a little bit better out there, 40% snap so was you know a two-back committee we saw Daryl Williams getting legit fourth quarter run that seemed to almost be a case where he was more effective than Le'Veon and because of that he was getting more of the work in the fourth quarter so you know if Clyde remains sidelined which I understand he was active but 
Let's say we know for sure he's out next week. Le'Veon, he's going to be more of a borderline RB2. And honestly, Daryl Williams uh, is someone that's going to be a low-end RB3. So we want Clyde back. He'll be, you know, a lower-end RB2 himself. It's, it's just wild that the Chiefs can be this good on offense without really using a running back all that much. Just realize there's going to be scoring opportunities to go around. And Clyde on the season has still put up really good numbers. It's just a little more muddled than it was originally, which is annoying. But, you know, do not rage drop Clyde edwards or anything like that. He is still the lead running back for the freaking best offense in the league when he is healthy enough to get out there with the Broncos, Drew Locke, 151 yards, two touchdowns, pair of interceptions. First one was really brutal uh, on the first, I believe first drive of the game, may, might have been the second, uh, second interception just at the end of the game, you know, trying to get them down there and force the pass uh, that Honey Badger jumped in front of. So, don't necessarily fall in for that. Look, I mean, this was a 16-19 game in the fourth quarter before the uh, Broncos ended up punting, uh, you know, when they had a drive going. So, Drew Locke kept a minute uh, to an extent, found Tim Patrick for two well-thrown touchdowns and also got Noah Fant 57 yards as well. So, you know, KJ Hamler was making some stuff happen short. Melvin Gordon had 131 yards on the ground. It was hardly like Drew Locke was just consistently uh, having these tight window throws down the field. But we've seen a couple performances from him like this where he didn't take a sack. You know, he didn't have a fumble. Like Drew Locke, his decision-making decision, decision making needs so much work throwing the ball. Again, I've called him, you know, AFC West Jameis before, but you look at what he can actually do in terms of that arm strength. He can make any throw on the field, and he's so good at maneuvering the pocket sometimes and actually getting outside of it and not taking these brutal sacks. You know, he's hardly someone that's going to be a statue. So he can move. He's got the arm. We just doesn't quite know what to do with it yet. So it reminds me of, you know, a younger Josh Allen. And just realize, people, like, he's, this is still, what, start number 12 or 13? I get it. We've, we saw far more from guys like Patrick. Patrick Mahomes and everything uh, well before this point, but not every quarterback is going to be Patrick Mahomes and be a freaking world beater the second we see him show up. So Drew Locke, even though this wasn't a great performance, it was a hell of a lot better than the first two we saw him have against the Chiefs. And just the fact he can make some of these big time throws that other quarterbacks, you know, wouldn't even really dream of attempting. I, I'm still not, you know, giving up on him just yet. I, I think we've seen enough upside from him to this point to think that he can maybe improve decision making and bring it back together. And I'd also like to see him do it with a better offensive line, maybe having his number one wide receiver, Corlin Sutton, in the picture. So, fancy land, no, we're not touching Drew Locke in 2020, but I would not give up on his, you know, long term career and Denver just yet. Uh, I think that's going to about do it here. Melvin Gordon, yeah, 15 carries, 131 yards. Philip Lindsay, 14 carries, 26 yards. Ended up being about a 50-50% situation. That's what we've seen all year. It was just Melvin Gordon with the 65-yard uh, run that gave him the edge in this one. So Gordon, you know, with Lindsey involved, he's going to be more of an upside wide or running back three for me. When Lindsey's out of the picture, that's when we can feel more confident about him getting that true workhorse role. But credit to Gordon. He was running well tonight. Unfortunately, couldn't find the end zone for his trouble. Uh, PFF Lily matchup stat. Patrick Mahomes got the win in this one. He's lost, you know since joining the NFL and all that. He has not lost a game by more than eight points, though, by more than one score since November 19th, 2016 at Texas, at Texas Tech. They lost, you know, barn burner to Iowa State 66-10. So that game was uh, quite a bit more than uh, one score, but realized that, you know, the Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes under center are never out of a game and it is absolutely wild to watch. That's going to do it, everybody. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. The PFF Fantasy Football Podcast bringing you new episodes every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Uh, you know, we'll be back here on Tuesday with a recap of the two Monday night games. I also want to go over some waiver wire goodness. So thank you, as always. And until next time, take care, everybody. Have a good week 14. Hope the week 13 went well. And fantasy football playoffs, if you haven't uh, already made them or are in them, hopefully we are going to be doing that here this week and beyond. So let's go get that title, everybody. And thank you for listening. Take care. Thank you.